0: Print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt stand. Upgrade your arsenal.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye.
2: This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, Land and Lakes Podcast, everyone. Uh, myself, Adam, is here. Matt, somewhere there, here. right? Yep.
2: Yeah, I am. I'm ready to rock and roll. And um, I, Adam, I gotta be honest with you. This the season is is open. People are familiar now with the past couple of weeks of of um, successful podcast re- recapping hunts, so they know that it's, it's here. Um and and that's exciting and everything. But just looking ahead at the next few months for Land and Legacy and what we're working on, kind of behind the scenes and whatnot, I'm just I'm so excited for let's say the future and the turn of the new year. There's just so many good things that are coming. And it's just really fun to be kind of sitting back and we've been able to slow down just a touch um and be home a little bit more and kind of work on some things. But there's a there's a lot of fun stuff happening.
1: No doubt. No doubt. I think January twenty twenty two is gonna be a, a fun time uh in the in the history of land and legacy. And yep. it's gonna be it just uh another another step forward in assisting and helping people uh improve properties across the country, anywhere that you're able to listen to podcasts or watch videos. So it's going to be fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know uh, it is a, you know, when Land of Legacy started, we were very busy in the early part of the year, and then kind of summer hit, and there was a few more things that we did. Um, summer, late summer, we got more consults, but then fall hit, and it was pretty well like, okay, we can unplug, we can catch up, we can do our other stuff, like, that's when we would focus on some real estate stuff we would focus on revamping and doing different things mm-hmm. and now it's like that's kind of what we're we're hoping to do for, especially for this January is like okay we want to button everything up we want to i we want to improve the overall experience or the overall deliverables to our clients improve the product we give them that's the bread the breadwinner of of our uh of our businesses yep. is the consulting side, and so we're like, okay, let's button that up. And but then we just continuing to get consults during the fall, which is yeah. one of the weirdest times to consult because you're like, yeah, Wait, why it? We actually, why, why don't you cut why don't you cut that in next week or tomorrow when you're here, and then hunt over it next week.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very like, hey, strange. Let's try and zip through this open field, so then we'll go stand on a tree stand for the rest of the day. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, yeah. but it, it is. It's it's there's there is just a a lot a lot happening, and and we're not people are going to ask I know, but we're not going to reveal all the all the happenings um, until it's time. So yeah. it's it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. I think a lot of people will be excited for um, some of those changes and announcements um, that that will come at the right time frames. But there's there's just an excitement about. It. So I don't want to take away from um, the fact that it is deer season. People want to hear about you know what what's been happening because no doubt um, you got you got a story to tell too.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it's kind of one of those that this this hunt almost fell through the cracks because of uh, just trying to make sure that we're putting out more content and timely content. And, um, you know, Chad shot his nice deer. And it was like, well, I honestly kind of halfway anticipated maybe having another story. And this one might just be a, a portion of a podcast. But there's a lot of things in this one that make it it's important to talk about. Because there's so much that can be learned from it,
0: mm-hmm. without, um, and without, I think
1: without. one of the big things about this one is, you know, I want people to picture their first farm, the, the the farm that they they purchased, and maybe they've leased it in the past, and they then they buy it, or maybe they have uh, they've never stepped foot on it, and they're like, you know what, it's time. And you, you buy the farm and then you think about where's the first hunt going to be? Where where are you going to go put your time in to be like the first official set on the new farm? And, you know, Chad and I, we had that opportunity. Um, we had that opportunity this past week to do just that. And uh, to, to make the first hunt on the farm as the owners. And um, we didn't quite do... What we had probably planned all these years, because you know we've leased the uh, the Whistlin Woodlands Ranch for oh we've been the hunters, the primary hunters on it for nearly fifteen years, um, and so we know the farm just as well as we know our own family farm, um, but it's it's like okay, you know you think about it, dream about it. Where are we going to do the first hunt? You think it's going to be over this big, beautiful food plot that's way back in the back that nobody's around. You're like, I can't even hear cars, trains, planes, the neighbor's dog, the other neighbor's chickens. I can't hear anything. I All I hear are the sound of wildlife. And that's probably, that. I mean, that's what Chad and I would think. Like, okay, let's go do it. <laughs> that is far from what we did we had it right next to the gravel road um <laughs> on a food plot that was planted primarily as a screen yeah and that's one of the key points of this podcast is especially guys in the midwest in likely the the southern part of the midwest because we seem to be a little worse off than the midwest of you know Iowa um and and if you're from the north this 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 little tip right here may not be for you but I want you to give an get an idea of where we're at um and what we're dealing with here in the midwest because I've seen pictures coming out of clients that have uh planted legacy blend or planted in, in New York and in Michigan and um Ohio. Ohio West and America. Pennsylvania. It's just like green, beautiful turnip leaves are ten inches tall and I think, boy, isn't that nice. Everything right? I, you would expect. I just think about the growing season of, of the the Great Lakes region, northern climate where it's like, you know, really you, you don't have as long of a growing season. You can grow the fire out of turnips, man. The brassicas just go crazy it seems like. And then you can plant other blends that have a shorter growing window uh, or a maturing time and it's just like, "Oh, look at that. It just it grew, it made seed, it flow or it grew, it flowered, it made seed, and then poop, I let I, I kill it and then I plant brassicas and now they're just big and beautiful. Here in the Midwest, we've kind of shifted in the last 5 years. And by that I mean I've said this before, but our dry period is now late August, September, October. That seems to be, it could be a little bit shorter, but the the worst part of the dry year is early to mid-September, which is just like, not only is it dry, but it's been very hot. So if you have little wheat stubble, coming up, or I guess wheat stubble is not the right word, young, fresh wheat growth that's three inches tall, that heat is killing a lot of it, because especially if it's bare ground. Or, it's just sitting there just dormant, almost, where it's like, oh, just get through this. Just get through the heat. Just get through the heat. And then it starts picking back up in latter part or early latter part of September, early part of October. And by that point, it's not got a long Growing period before it gets hit with a frost and the and the growth slows down, um, and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. Is uh, a lot of our brassicas, our legacy blends, our bounty hunter are not growing incredibly fast because we haven't had good rains. If we've had rains, it's two inches in thirty minutes, and most of it runs off. Um, yep. And so that's that's very, it's made it very difficult
2: yeah I was just saying very very little if we got rain it didn't soak in yeah and it, what little bit did it got hot and dry and, and and windy the next few days and so the top layer uh, of soil dried out again pretty quickly yeah so it just was not a good scenario for planting even if you're doing all the right steps too yeah so I want to just make that important.
1: we're using no tail drills we've got thatch we're not doing and tillage
2: still difficult yeah still difficult to get anything established growing it's more like if, if something did germinate it's just still and stagnant and not growing it's just like please i'm hanging on please <laughs> uh-huh.
1: yeah and so yeah. it's been tough but one thing that keeps coming up and it's came up the last couple of years is the power of good perennial clover plots Yep. Like the Revival blend that we helped develop with Stratton Seed Company. It's got chicory, alfalfa, and two types of clover. Um, that has been just amazing, especially if it's been in bottom ground, where it's a little bit more loamy and not so much gravelly. Like, I think of one food plot, Ruby Ridge. It actually got, it's been, to, this is year two, it got pretty roasted this this fall. Now, it's starting to grow back up. I actually rode through it yesterday, and it's greening back up, um, mm-hmm. but it's not that, you know, to me, I picture that September, early October, clover being six inches tall, beautiful deer pouring in it and before they go and hit brassicas and um, are eating standing grain. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. But they're not, it's not coming on, they're coming back as or withstanding the dryness like I wish it would, which isn't any surprise. Now, the other thing is, so perennial, clover, but summer blends. hmm And I think there is so much to be said about summer blends that contain certain species like we have in the heritage blend because soybeans, like, for example, um, they're, they're, and I think food plotting is one of those where when guys start asking food plot questions— it's almost like uh, uncorking the, ca- the the or un- uh, opening the can of worms because there's yep. so many variables that come into play. And even if you lay out all the variables, do you have too many deer? How many acres do you have? What's the soil type? How are you doing soil tests? Um what's it look like as far as uh you know the surrounding area? And then you, once you pull in all of those variables, and you could say, okay, that, 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 to answer them, to find the perfect solution, the weather still has to cooperate.
2: So you're saying there's a lot of variables.
1: There's too many variables <laughs> to really, like, that's why, you know, food plots are, are, are amazing. But sometimes if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, there's going to be years where you're like, this is awful. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons, you know, looking back, there's so many other podcasts and one in particular devoted to this. But one of the big reasons why we developed the Heritage Blend was to increase diversity, but have the ability to plant, you know, one of the big benefits of this is having the ability to plant a small food plot or a food plot with high deer density to where you could have some vegetation that's providing a food source, but not just, if you planted monoculture soybeans and deer ate all the beans, you would have bare ground because you'd have a little bit of thatch left over maybe, but it's going to be decomposing rather quickly. So you didn't want to have bare ground all summer long just turning that soil into concrete.
2: Well, and let's not let's not forget the fact too that at this time I just talked to a landowner in Maryland, and I, it's happening everywhere. Um, but but soybeans are turning. You know, we're, that's right. We're in the middle of season, and and they're in this in between stage of very attractive during the growing season, early growing season, mid growing season, but now late growing season in our region, and let's say the central U.S. They're turning and are not attractive at this time frame. So there's just this full period. But comparing that to the legumes that are in a heritage blend, such as cowpeas, lab lab, um, those varieties are doing phenomenal right now.
1: That's right. So I like drove not, even, by... not
2: even close to turning a color. They, they die with frost. Yeah, Every year. they'll
1: be beautiful green, and then frost hit them, and you're like, whoa, what happened to those? Did somebody <laughs> spray herbicide here? Yeah, yeah. Nope, God just put frost on the land. There you go. Yep. Um, and so, like, to me, I've got a perfect example of that. In, the, in this in this little area, we have yep. soybeans, strategy soybeans, which are, um, you know, one of these kind of forage variety but enlist traits, to really try to control, you know, we planted them to kind of try to control Ceresa espedeza and a few other species as we get ready to turn it into pasture. So we were wanting to use different types of herbicide to really set back some of our invasive species. Did a great job. But they're already starting to turn while then you have these other game changers that are still really green um, growing in the one, I mean, the main field is strategy beans, the north end, in front of the redneck blind is is game changer beans. But they're not doing that they're you know, they're hip high in places, belly button high in other places, and even a little bit taller, but they're just uh the, the leaves have turned started turning on the strategy beans and then what leaves are really within reach on the game changers have been consumed. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a lot of stems sticking up. Then you hop across a creek and you have Heritage Blend, which looks like a jungle, like just a, like they're filming Rambo movies. Um, but in, 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 I
2: don't, this isn't an exaggeration, though, either. Like the, the growth tendencies of the Heritage at this specific time of the year, I would say like fully developed is is, is a good word to describe it. But it really does resemble a jungle. You're not just being dramatic or expressive. You don't that's like a, walking through it. That's an accurate way of describing
1: it. Yeah, it's a, it's a six-foot-tall jungle. Um, it's a spiny,
2: yeah. yeah similar cleaned. to like kudzu
1: in the south from the standpoint of where the cowpeas and lab lab just go crazy. And then you had the, the structure of milo and sunhemp to climb up. That it just climbs up and then falls over and, up and falls over and climbs up and falls over and climbs up and falls over to where it's just vines on vines on vines and you think, My goodness, this is awful Um to walk through. But it's it's and it's almost like it might be too thick for the deer. Well then they find holes and they make trails and all of a sudden they can maneuver through it. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is if you were to devote and you were to hear a pod one of our podcasts raving about how awesome heritage blend is and you're like you know what i'm gonna do it i don't even need soybeans i'm gonna do it you would have phenomenal forage throughout the summer as long as you didn't have extremely high deer numbers now it can take right. grazing pressure or browsing pressure a lot more than monoculture soybeans but still right. you can't have it completely ridiculous let's let's be realistic mm-hmm But if you were to just devote the whole farm to having heritage, you probably wouldn't have as good of late season attraction as you would if it was monoculture corn or monoculture soybeans. But you would still have pretty good attraction. And right now, the heritage is more attractive than the soybeans. And that's where our hunt kind of came into play of going, well, where do we want to go? Chad's like, you know. That heritage right down there next to Gravel Road, that we we planted it to try to screen eyeballs from one of our main plots. And he goes, you know, there's a lot of deer traffic in there. And we got talking, and we're like, we need to shoot does, and we need to shoot a lot of does, and preferably in places that we're not trying to shoot bucks. So we start trying to pick odd areas of going you know, tonight we're likely not going to see a good buck because I can't think of any good bucks that are on camera pretty consistently. And let's just focus on harvesting does. Where do we go? And the heritage plot came into play.
2: Well, and and to to even set the stage a little bit more, give this idea of, the attractiveness or power over beans right now i know the cows have been grazing some of the beans some of the bottoms yeah. that you guys have but what what is the acreage left would you estimate acreage left of beans in the bottom adjacent to this heritage plot how, how many acres you think 10 Seven or eight? Ten, 10 okay around ten. 10 10 acres of beans that were planted soybeans right and, and the size of the field of heritage that less is less than a half an acre. Right. So that right there should should automatically tell people listening, okay, there's a 10-acre bean field adjacent to. The only thing that's separating this half-acre field and this big bean field is a creek, and it's a dry creek. So it's not like it's impassable. <laughs> they are choosing the half-acre of forage from this diverse blend over 10 acres of a secure bottom field of soybeans.
1: That's right. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, just how much the deer coming into that little, I don't know, less than a half acre
2: field of heritage. And, and acre field is the, is the edge of, of the property along the gravel road now it's not like a gravel road gets that tr- like a ton of travel but it is two yards from the gravel road <laughs> i mean it's right there
1: it's right there yeah there's you know the the gate actually the gate to enter into the property is right there at one end of it and then it kind of the the road kind of veers away and there's like a strip of trees and a creek so only a portion of the field can be seen from the gravel road this time of year but it is still uh it 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 doesn't matter right there there. (laughs) especially when we felt like a lot of the deer could be coming from across the road
2: sure yep yep so i I hope that kind of sets the stage though for people listening of, of the value that we're talking about again it's not just Oh, try and pump up the heritage blends. Like times of the year, like like right now, whether we're yep. dry or not, this is going to occur, and it has occurred um, in years past too, where they've started pounding the heritage blend at this time of the year. So it's a great, great option. It's it's a perfect summer annual, but it's not just summertime attraction. And this, and I'm air quoting, soil builder type deal. It's it's a great hunting food plot during early season. So mm-hmm. I'll let you kind of take over the the, the hunt because um wh- I guess why why were you guys focusing on does? And like said you didn't really have a buck to pattern, but beyond that,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, when you pull up like and you pull up past podcasts, you know, there's one called year of sacrifice and, and in that podcast we talk about how this is a year that we're trying to sacrifice the low pressure harvest big bucks like this is a year that we're saying we need to really get the doe population under control we're going to log we got a lot of things going on we're sacrificing that year and you know for us is like we have to shoot some deer this year or the population is going to get out of hand quickly And so that's why we're like, let's find areas, uh, and I encourage this with every person that listens and every person we work with, try to find areas to harvest does that aren't really in the heart of the property. They're not in right next to the bedding cut. They're not right on every good food plot you have. Kill some does in areas that you typically wouldn't hunt by providing an attraction, it may just pull uh, one doe group there. It may just pull a doe there before dark. And you can pick deer off in these odd areas to avoid pressuring some of your better areas. Yeah. So, the day that this, this uh, on this day, this particular hunt, conditions weren't really great. They were pretty good, but they weren't like two days previously. And, or two days prior. And, so it was like, well, where are we going to go? Let's think about this. Okay, the winds southwest. Let's uh think about places that maybe we can get close to to where it's not, oh, we're, we're also going to be running late because we're messing with cows. So, somewhere close that we can get to quickly. But, we need to shoot does. We're shooting does. We're hunting does. We're hunting does. We're hunting does. We're hunting does. It's like let's hunt that place, and so our first hunt on the farm that we officially own was so close to the gravel road. When our neighbor drove back to go to her house, we saw her clear as day, <laughs> and right kind of sat man. there like, "Where to break the ice? Should we wave or not wave? Kind of deal like."
2: <laughs> is this unfriendly away from the stand
1: or what and we weren't that close i say that a little bit
2: uh,
0: yeah
1: jokingly um as she drove by i was like okay whatever and we're set up on a hair on this heritage blend which is about six foot seven foot eight foot tall depending on the area and the density of the sun hemp and the binding of the cow peas and lab lab and we sat there i don't know a little while, and all of a sudden, I'm kind of dozing, looking out, um, looking out in the beans, 'cause that's kind of how my saddle was set up. And Chad's kind of looking over the heritage better, and I'm looking to my left. He's looking out in the heritage, and I say, I look at him, 'cause we're kind of looking at each other around this sycamore tree we're in. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Hey, is there? Do you see any deer behind me?" And he kind of looks, and he goes, "No." and i went okay sounds like there's a deer back there whatever and uh i sat there and i finally was like okay there's something back here behind me and i turn and 35 yards there's there's two deer two antlerless deer i'm like where did they come from and then i get to watching them and i'm like oh no wonder they snuck up on us they were just like bird dogging through the heritage they would duck their head down crawl Mm. like like hunker in and walk under these big mounds where it was just lots of vines from the cow peas and lab lab and just pop back up and start eating some more and then kind of like legit like lowering the shoulder to go through this stuff
2: it was like like tunneling
1: oh my goodness like what in the world and we just kept sitting there watching them and all of a sudden <laughs> Chad looks out to the right or to our left and uh he says, Hey, I think there's another one up there and you could just see sun hemp, which is blooming right now. If you've never seen sun hemp blooms, they're they're pretty awesome. These yellow blooms on like seven foot tall sun hemp shaking, just like flagging. Right. Like like catfish on the limb line shaking. And We're like, there's got to be a deer there because, but I don't want to be tricked because earlier in the hunt, there was an armadillo that did the same thing. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. Something's up there though. And it's just like shaking. And uh, I I felt like that old Troy Lander, true shagle, true shagle. And, uh, (laughs) And we're sitting there and watching that, trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden we start picking out and there's three different deer that are in this field. I have no idea how they got there but they're in the field and you can occasionally see the tops of their heads right and we sit there and we're like oh my goodness like this is insane how many well, how you can't see these
2: deer it's one of those it's one of those things where you can walk by it and you can drive by it and you're like man that's thick but until you put something out in it and either are only catching glimpses of that animal or you're seeing it, I'm not saying struggle through it, but really just strategically each step they're taking, um, you just don't realize how thick and like robust that blend really is. Yeah.
1: Pretty incredible. And so we sat there just waiting for something to come into range, and at this point we've seen five deer on this field. And it's like, man, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, this is a little bit field, there's five deer on it. I wonder how many other deer are out in the beans. And then we saw like a, I don't know, a nice little 80, 90-inch eight-pointer in the beans.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So there's definitely starting to be deer moving. And all of a sudden I turn around and the doe, the first doe, she's moved and she's like right already in range but behind a tree. And it's like, whoa, I better, we better spin around and get ready. You on her? And she steps out and I'm I, I kind of shot like through a hole and I mean it was well over top of her back and the the, the the heritage blend. Right. And I shot her and she ran through and half the time you couldn't even see her running. She was actually running through the vines, like just you couldn't see her. You could just see the the area shaking. And she ran and <laughs> I mean she went thirty yards. And fell wow. over. And uh, I don't know if it was the strangling of the vines or the actual arrow through the lungs that killed her. But, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty crazy. But that's the other. So the one key point is not giving up on those summer blends early in the season. Designing, if you have does to kill, put in food, little attractions. You're not trying to kill a, a giant buck there, a mature buck there. You need areas that you can harvest does that aren't putting a ton of pressure on where your good bucks are at. And that's what this area is. And um, shot her. And then the other the other big doe that was out there, she was got all like, what's going on over there? They can't really see each other, but they can hear what's going on. So she comes to investigate. And I immediately grabbed another arrow because work doesn't stop at one. We've got a bunch of deer we need to kill. Yeah, You're and, already in and, the field, uh, and so you that's might, right.
2: it's going to be a late night regardless. Might as well just tough it out a little bit longer and see if you can shoot another one.
1: That's right. And so what? <laughs> knocked another arrow. She didn't ever really give us a good shot. The The best shot we had was 35 yards, full alert, yeah. with some vegetation right around the kill zone. I'm like, I'll take that <laughs> at 20, but not at 35. Right, So. Right. Yeah, we let her, she ended up walking off, and then we had a couple more deer try to come in. They actually came in downwind. It could have been the the doe that I that was, that was almost shot um, after I'd already killed the other one. We had more, so we had two or three more coming down the hill, but in a weird pocket, and they saw or smelled us, got out of there, and then we had another doe and fawn come into the field um, right at last light. And so, and I almost shot her too. I actually started drawing to try to get her, but um just couldn't get couldn't get it to happen so um when it comes to the dough management, I think it's it's just so crucial to to stay on top of it and make sure that you're aware of what's going on um For us, we see this a lot of times with people who have had properties for a while and do a lot of habitat management and focus on shooting mature deer i don't know what percentage matt but i would say more times than not the property ends up degrading because does aren't harvested at a fast enough rate
2: yeah i would i don't it's it's different for every region and farm of course but um that's what it doesn't really matter the timing it, it it just honestly matters to those listening that that happens and that's reality and so you can put in this hard hard work um by improving the habitat and then f- for specifically better numbers of deer or better quality deer and actually see over the long term that not happen that goal not be reached because of the number of deer that that are on the place if you're not managing them appropriately and and uh that is one of the big missteps that i see people who are intense about trying to shoot and target mature deer is not understanding the value let's say of shooting antlerless deer in that exact same process it's not a it's not an either-or type situation. It's just the fact that we need to accept that that's a management strategy.
1: Yeah, that needs it has, to it has, it has to happen.
2: Has to happen. Yeah. Absolutely has to. And and there's so many. We're not talking about just farms though, too, Adam. That that um, can degrade. We're talking about regions, neighborhoods, states where it's like they just get this fame around them for being a big buck area and they can just degrade over time because the sole focus of many of the hunters that have the ability to manage the herd themselves, they're they're looking at, let's say, the top 1% of a population. Yeah. And that's the only thing on the radar. And I'm not against trophy hunting or or, or trying to kill mature deer at the top of your hit list. That, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, think about when you do... TSI. I don't want to just cut trees. I want to cut trees and then want to follow up and probably cut some more and then use prescribed fire. It's not one practice. It's a series of practices that over time create an amazing result. But same thing when it comes to managing a deer herd is you have to keep up and maintain the actual herd density with what it is you're offering. And it it it's it's not an either or situation. You've no just got to do it. I think of people who let's say you can't manage land too. Let's say you're a, a sitting in a, in a lease option. What is the biggest thing that you have direct control over? Is the actual herd density and the quality of the herd that's on that property if you can't, you know, cut trees or yep. plant or Pop. burn and do things. But
1: you it, know, you can look at the, the devil's advocate of that side of it too and say if you're in a situation where you're a, a a smaller parcel and you have like I think about I can think of a couple clients where they have a smaller parcel right next to a state park where there's no hunting and it's just like
2: mm-hmm. Overload.
1: Overload. And they can shoot them and shoot them and shoot them and shoot them and still just keep getting replaced. And so one thing that people have to consider too, this is, I mean, ultimately so much about our job is trying to understand that. Because if you're just like, there is no template. There is no way that one person can say, you own land, do X, Y, Z. And you're off to the races because each right. and every property is different. Each and every region is different. And, and and not only is is that different, but all the variables that come into play, they're all woven together and trying to f- pick the threads that tie it all together and managing that are, are ultimately how you make the biggest impact. And so sometimes if if you are one of those people where you're in a neighborhood completely bombarded – the best thing you can do is make sure that you're trying to educate the neighbors as well and make mm. sure that they know so one thing that Chad and I have talked about with with multiple neighbors of ours that have been through the years where we didn't have a lot of deer, and they're starting to say, "You know it seems like we're starting to have a lot of deer. We immediately are like, "Make sure you shoot does this winter, make sure you're shooting' them because this is right at the- the the this is right at the summit of the mountain where we can either." dive bomb off the other side and let the population get out of control or we can stay right here and make sure that we we, we're staying on top and and that's where it's really crucial that you can kind of understand not only your property but big picture what's going on in the whole neighborhood
2: absolutely and and that's a great way to introduce yourself and, and and kind of break the ice with neighbors and talk about um, you know, population dynamics. Here's what I'm seeing. You don't have to reveal any buck photos, but talk about the the, the number of does of that you're seeing. Just try and get on board with that open line of communication with, with neighbors, but it's essential. I mean, it's, it's, it, you just, you have to partake in that and you cannot rely on just trying to um, air quoting manage a farm by, by only trying to harvest, let's say again, that top 1% of the overall population, that's not management, that's just harvest. And again, that's your, if that's what you want to do, great. But if you're trying to improve things, then you have to look at the, the overall harvest. And the, I guess another quick thought on that is when you're, when you're looking at, you know, stressors and competition and things that impact food availability from the deer that you're wanting to carry over into future generations and, and to move them up onto older age classes. A deer or a doe, an antlerless doe poses, let's say the most competition for those future deer that you want in the deer herd because they're eating the exact same food that all those other deer that you want in property down the road are eating. So if you want to make that biggest impact, well, reduce the number of mouths that are consuming that limited amount of, of food, whether you have a lot of food or not, it's still a a set amount of food available on the property. And so let's allocate those resources, food resources that are limited to some degree during, during stressful periods to the deer that, you know, have a future on the place. And if not target those does. Whatever the number may be for your for your site, that's appropriate, and and remove them because again, those ones are the are those deer pose the greatest competition risk for the future of the farm.
1: That's right. And so people don't
2: think of like a deer as like a competitor, um, but but really, when we think about it, as over the course of years and seasons, they absolutely are. There's always yeah. so much food and space on a property.
1: That's why it's humorous when guys when guys can talk in one side of their mouth about how their deer population is out of control and out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying coyotes are a big problem around here. (laughs) Right. And how they like put this emphasis that, yeah, we, we're, we're trapping. We got to be trapping, shooting coyotes, any coyotes. The only, (laughs) what is it? The only good coyote is a dead coyote. And it's like, but your population's out of control. Like even if they, even if a coyote figured something out and killed 50, you'd probably be like, Oh, he killed fifty of my deer, but yeah, I got to shoot seventy-five. It makes no sense to me from a practical standpoint. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and I mean, why why wouldn't why wouldn't there be a lot of coyotes on a property that has a lot of deer? Yeah, that's right. I mean, let's just be real, right? Yeah. So so let's just find the balance between it all and realize that herd management is is important, just like habitat management is. And you guys are. On the on the the up and up, and obviously trying to get ahead and stay yeah. ahead of the curve that you know is going to happen. But there's so many improvements, so many changes happening on the property that you know if you don't get ahead of it now, it's only going to be harder and more delayed down the road. So make your make your judgment call of how many you, your target number of deer that you're trying to hit at the at the or uh, throughout the season. And, and if you need to readjust, too, I think because of the amount of food that, that you guys can and do offer throughout the property, whether it be in the form of supplement supplemental food or just the amount of woody browse, there always seems to be an increase post-rut, when it does get cold, the amount of deer that the property has on it. So, you know, you can make that predetermined, okay, we're going to take X number of deer, try and get there and reevaluate. You know, are you still seeing tons of deer? Do you need to up that, or do you need to just to pull back a little bit? But until you hit that point, hammer down. I think I think you said pre-show, put on the gas, and that's why you you had a great hunt. But um, you can probably go back in there tonight and and harvest more if you chose to. Yep, if if time allowed.
1: If time allowed. We plan on going <laughs> tomorrow, but it looks like maybe tomorrow might be a rain out. So
2: it certainly does. Either
1: you know. way, I know we're going to keep grinding away this season, and, and uh, we'll have more stories for everybody soon. And hopefully this podcast reminds guys that there's no better time to harvest those if you need to harvest those than right now. And I think the growing trend yes. or the thing you'll see is, hey, you know, early September is a good time – or. Late September is a good time to shoot does. Early season is a good time to shoot does. Hey, mid-season is a good time to shoot does. Hey, you know what? Late season good time to shoot does. Uh, The only time that I probably don't shoot a ton of does is if it's like November 5th and I'm right downwind of a bedding area and I'm way back into the property, I'm like, I really don't want to shoot one and blow this whole place up. But other than that, use mediocre time frames when the wind's not right or – when the conditions aren't aren't great, but you're hunting, use that as a great time to to harvest those. So
2: yeah, when they're in range is is when yeah. the appropriate time is. <laughs> That's right.
1: So. That's right. I hope so. I
2: hope that was an enjoyable and educational for everyone. Yeah, guys.
1: Um, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.